Hi guys, welcome to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host, as always, Steve Hall, and today I'm very happy to have three lovely women with me. Uh, we're going to be discussing something super important, and that is female fat loss. Uh, I think a lot of the discussion just in the fitness industry in general is surrounded uh, by just males interpretations and kind of male directed information. Uh, and so I think it's super important to have a resource for females and to identify the differences because women aren't just small men. Uh, so there are some unique things about them. So to introduce everyone so people are aware, we have Lauren Conlin back on the show. I actually interviewed Lauren back in uh, ages ago, actually, it was like 2017, it was episode 74, and I had a shaved head and everything, I checked it back. So she is finally back on the show, should have been back on before now, but uh, she is an MS in exercise science, she's a coach and owner at Team Loco Fit, she's an IFBB Bikini Pro uh, herself, and then we have Hattie Boydell, is that correct? Boydell. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we have Hattie Voidel on the show as well. She is a WMBF, WBFF pro uh, and also an online coach. And hopefully a lot of our followers are, or the listeners to the podcast are aware of you guys as well. And then we have Holly Baxter on the show as well. So she is an MS in dietetics, also WBFF pro, uh, and obviously kind of co-owning things with uh, Lane at BioLane and doing a lot of fantastic work over there as well. Uh, so I don't know who wants to start, but I'm going to pick someone to start talking about kind of the, the kind of grounding in terms of calories. Obviously, that's one of the things I think everyone here will agree on. We need a calorie deficit to start losing uh, weight and body fat. Uh, but what might be the difference for a man and a woman? What kind of things do we need to look at? So I don't know if Holly, you want to start off, kick us off with kind of identifying kind of what's an appropriate kind of calorie deficit to get female in, maybe talk about rate of loss. So um, when it comes to fat loss, I don't think there are any real significant differences between men and women um, when it comes to kind of working out what your targets are going to be. But um, I think women are generally going to be starting from probably a slightly higher body fat percentage than men. Um, so I guess when it comes to planning out your fat loss phase, um, there's probably going to be a longer time frame in which we, we need. Um, as far as how much uh, weight we should be losing, um, I tend to keep clients uh, within a pretty set range um, just to help uh, with some of the protective mechanisms of, um, you know, metabolic adaptation and losing lean body mass. So based on the current consensus of the scientific literature, I think uh, working somewhere between a range of like 0.4% of your body weight maybe up to 1.2, maximum 1.5% of your total body weight per week um, is probably a really good place um, to start. Um, and unfortunately, I think us ladies, we tend to be very impatient and we want that body fat gone like right now, <laughs> just go. Um, and we tend to jump in, you know, and commit to these really aggressive, um, you know, fat loss phases and, you know, restrictive calories, crazy amounts of exercise. Um, and often, more often than not, that's pretty much going to be unsustainable. So I think going in with a more of a conservative approach so that it can be something we can carry out for a long period of time and it's going to have those positive um, metabolic benefits and it's going to help us preserve more of our total lean body mass if we can do it like that. So um, that's, I guess, the overview of how I would start somebody's um, fat loss journey. Uh, girls, I don't know if you wanted to add anything more specific about it. I'll go. So one thing that I think is important, like you said, Holly, is particularly for women, 
we're already smaller generally to start. So we're going to have less muscle mass, right? It's just going to kind of be the reality. And we're trying to maintain as much of that as possible. And, you know, particularly when we're talking about a natural athlete, it's going to be something that's a lot slower versus let's say an enhanced male. So when you're looking at like these differences, you have to really take that into consideration. Of course, typically women are going to have less to lose, but not always. Right. So we have to really look at that um, and understand, okay, big picture, how long is this going to take? And yes, it might be a little bit longer than we'd like. Um, and I think just having those conversations up front with clients, like, listen, if you want to compete, you know, here's like the trajectory the next year I see us going, right? Like, it's not just like a, oh, 12 week prep, get on stage in eight weeks. Now, are there people who do that? Certainly. Are there people who naturally are leaner than others? Certainly. But for the majority of female clients outside of the very, very top elite, they're going to need probably a longer timeline. Um, one thing that I've kind of changed over time actually is when somebody's starting and they have a higher body fat, <clears throat> they're going to be able to maintain their muscle a little bit easier than later on when they are leaner. So when I first started, um, coaching or even my own preps, I would start off like, okay, I'm going to drop my food. I'm going to have two refeeds. I'm going to do the back to back. So I'm going to do this whole thing. And then over time, you know, you have to get aggressive at some point and drop things off. But what I actually tended to realize is that it didn't work as well for people if I, when I did the inverse. So when I start off, I'm generally a little bit more aggressive now with clients. They mm -hmm. might have a refeed. If I've worked with them before, they might have two still, but some people can't tolerate that, especially in the beginning of a diet. And I've just found that that, that initial kind of kickstart, if you hammer things a little bit harder in the beginning, again, when they have higher body fats and their mental resiliency and their willpower is a little bit higher. Cause when you're starting a diet, you're pretty excited. Yeah, so motivation. Yeah, you're much more dialed in. Let's get a little bit more aggressive. And then later on in the back end, let's add a refeed. Let's add two. Let's do a diet break. Um, and I generally have been finding that more people respond better that way because I coach mostly women and only female competitors. Um, so I can speak from, from that experience from coaching and with myself too. So I don't know if you guys do that, but it's something that I've found generally works better psychologically and physiologically. So it's kind of a win-win. Yeah, absolutely. I would 100% agree with that, Lauren. I think just to kind of paint the backstory of that, um, when we have more fat tissue or adipose tissue uh, when we're dieting, we're less susceptible to protein breakdown. So um, the leaner we get, now there's less caloric cushioning or energy coming from our you know, stored body fat. So now um, I guess the natural inclination is for our body to start wanting to use some of those other energy reserves like our protein, like our lean body mass, to provide us with the fuel for our training. So I'm so there with you, Lauren. I think that starting, you know, a bit more aggressive on the, the front end and when you have that mental resilience and then, you know, adding in stuff at the later parts to kind of slow it down and help protect uh, your lean mass is a great strategy. Yeah, I think that that's sprint finish, especially in a contest <laughs> prep. It's like not a fun time. You want to be ready early if you can be, if anything, because like you said, you've kind of got the ability to do that at the start. I was going to ask Hattie if you've a similar experience with what these guys are saying, but I guess because like you said, women are generally smaller, the kind of the calories they consume is less. So being in a big deficit, even at the start, could sometimes be challenging to lose at the rate of loss they want to. Hattie, have you found kind of you've had to do things differently for women? Maybe, I don't know what that might be, like cardio, things like this. Um, it actually depends on the individual. And I think something that's really important is to set a plan with the individual. What I've found works really well with women is being able to tie them into each phase of the process so that they know where they're going. 
some sort of plan and some sort of direction rather than springing things on, on them. Cause it's like when motivation drops, you know, emotion set in, you're hungry, you're tired. Um, knowing what's ahead just makes it that little bit easier. Is there going to be a diet break? You know, if you're going aggressive in the beginning, just saying, we're not going to go lower than this, but just pushing now, we're going to get this set point, you know, as body fat drops, refeeds can come in. Um, this is the point where we're going to add cardio in. And I even put like cardio in, you know, in the, in the work capacity stage to build work capacity. So often I, I taper off cardio and then I might add it in through the end, but it all depends on the individual and their starting point. Um, you know, time is our friend and it is, it is also not our friend. And that's why I think it's really important to set a realistic time frame, in particular with contest prep girls, because it isn't 16 weeks and it's not 12 weeks. But even for our lifestyle coaches, um, you know, having a, a holiday at the end or a birthday at the end or even just tying them into little pockets um, where they can just have a mental break just helps that that ongoing process. Because sometimes it is, you know, a year's worth of fat loss and a year's worth of fat loss seems sounds very scary to me and mm -hmm. I can only imagine what it would be like going, you know, for the person going through it. So um, I think planning ahead is really important and buying them into the process. So they know what the, I guess the result of their actions are going to be and it makes it a lot easier to follow through. Yeah. I think um, for people that have OCD or just like to be organized and they have a bit of a calendar, like going through, like if you're planning to compete, especially, and I mean, this goes the same for people that are just, you know, gen pop that just are trying to lose some body fat, um, kind of having that discussion on the front end, like what events have you got coming up? Is there any like meaningful or important dates where, Hey, we can insert these, you know, um, week diet breaks or, you know, a handful of higher calorie days, um, so that they've got something to look forward to. It's not like you said, girls, it sprung on you at the last minute. That's so valuable. I think people really like having something to kind of project um, and see. And it sounds... Just oh. oh, sorry. <laughs> I knew this was happen. I was like, damn it, I'm trying to like... <gasps> everybody's... But um, <laughs> communication strategies with females, I think is, is really important. And I do work with males. And obviously I have a lot of male friends and... Um, you know, there are differences and, you know, you can tell, tell a male client, Hey, go do this. And they're like, okay, like it takes a little bit. What I've always seen is it takes a little bit longer for them to buy into something, but when they're bought in, they will execute on it. Doesn't matter what's going on. Whereas females often tend to be really quick to jump on something, but then maybe it's harder to follow through. Or there's like, well, what about this? And what? So that's where I find that communication is really, really important. And every communication style is going to be different for clients, right? Some, you know, obviously we all have our, our very distinct styles, but we have to adapt and mold to each individual client. You know, for some people, I'm much more of a cheerleader than for other people. Sometimes I'm that only person in their life that's very direct and strong with them. You know, so it really just kind of depends. And that's where, you know, you learn if you ask the right questions and you communicate properly, you can see what works for them. But laying out that plan um, for any kind of a fat loss deficit is really, really key. And just having these little like kind of mental sprints, like, all right, for the next few weeks, we're going to do this and then we're going to adjust. And I think that's probably what the hardest part about particularly the contest prep is, is there's a lot of uncertainty. Um, obviously we can be aiming for something, right? Like, Hey, there's a show I really want to do. And hopefully, you know, the, the more advanced you get, you can really dial these things in. But for somebody who's just starting out competing, it can be really hard as a coach to give a timeline because it's like, 
weeks and like, I really don't know how your body's gonna respond. You're still relatively new to competing. Um, it's really hard with that uncertainty to be like, well, what are we gonna do next? And when is this gonna change? And it's like, and I've even experienced that myself, you know, when I, when I was competing, it's like, you can't plan. And then I would have to say, okay, wait, as a coach, you can't plan this stuff. You know, you have to just say, okay, let's execute this. And it might be three days later, check in, let me know how it's going, right? But sometimes that's all the client needs to hear is, all right, we're going to try this and then we'll reassess after these next week or these next few days. I think just something on that is that there's many strategies, right? So, um, you know, we've talked about refeeds and, and just briefly on diet breaks, but, you know, for some women, you know, teaching them that they've got a calorie budget over a week and it's not just over a day, right? So they can learn to, um, if you're looking at sustainable fat loss, and this is for competitors and this is for general population is what are the strategies that we can use if something goes wrong? Like if we screw up over here, what's the repair system? And I always teach my girls, like we have a repair system. Let's, let's use it. So it's not all or nothing because I think where a lot of, you know, in particular lifestyle clients break down and they never end up reaching that end goal is that it's all or nothing. And it's great when it's all, but it's, awful when it's nothing. And so is there a repair system that we can teach them to have a little bit more flexibility, right? There's multiple ways to the same destination. Is it that you do higher feeding days, you know, with lower feeding days to, to match out your calorie budget over a week. So you're still hitting your target fat loss. Are you someone that just wants flatline macro calories for the week that you can just, you know, make it a little bit easier for yourself? Is it five low, two high? Like there's so many ways to do it. But just knowing and teaching, like teaching our clients, I think, you know, education is so important about there's more than one way to skin a cat and there's different strategies that we can use. And if this fails, then we've got this plan. And I know, I think Holly, you're quite big on that as well. Um, with having higher and lower feeding days. Yeah, and, absolutely. I think behaviors. Um, I have definitely come from a background of disordered eating. I suffered terribly as a young teenager from anorexia bulimia, um, binge eating disorder. And that stayed with me for probably 10 years of my life, certainly uh, the binge eating disorder and bulimia. Um, and it took a lot to kind of overcome that. And uh, one of the troubles I think with dealing with that or kind of living that was that there was always this expectation that everything needed to be perfect. And I needed to have all those, you know, eyes dotted, cross your T's, like, and if it's not perfect every single day, like then my response to that was, okay, well, I've, it's like you've punched a tire and I'm going to go puncture all the tires, you know, but it didn't really need to be quite such an extreme response. So I think over the years, I've definitely learned to be a little bit more compassionate um, and kind to myself. Um, and of course, the more knowledge that you have about how, you know, energy balance works. And like you said, Hattie, uh, making sure that you have an understanding that, you know, day to day fluctuation probably isn't the worst thing. It's more about, you know, seven day energy balance. Um, that really kind of was an eye opening, huge turning point for me as an individual. Um, and that's certainly something that I really try to help my clients understand when they are first starting up and especially there is so much misinformation out there. Like how many crazy diets are there at the moment? Like, I don't know. There's so many um, and they're all quite rigid. So I think um, giving people that permission to be flexible um, and know that, you know, you don't have to hit this dead on, like within a gram of your target. And if you don't, you've failed. 
um, there is that repair process. I like that word. I haven't thought of it that way before, but yeah, I think um, there's a little bit more leniency than we probably, um, you know, think. Yeah. I really love this discussion because it it just, it shows me that you're all great coaches because it's the plan, it's the education for the client, it's giving them self-efficacy so they know kind of what we're doing, why it's working, and that just leads to better adherence, uh, also in my experience. Um, something I'm also interested in, and I wonder if you guys would agree, it sounds like potentially when you are coaching a woman for fat loss, not to say I've never coached women for fat loss, but I think you guys are way more experienced with this, so you might have a, a different experience with kind of what I'm asking here, but they come from maybe a background of trying many more diets and have failed many other times. And so their kind of perceptions a bit more kind of, I don't know, screwed. Whereas a guy is kind of like, I don't know, they're just like, oh yeah, calorie deficit totally makes sense. Whereas women sometimes feel a bit confused and like, oh no, I've tried that one before. Or it sounds like there needs to be some convincing almost for them. There's a much more emotional um, response to food with women. Um, I'm somebody who grew up with an eating disorder as well. I would say that a lot of clients, a lot of people who are in this space in general have come from that kind of a background. And it, it it's not just the disorder in particular, it's the type of people that are drawn to have a disorder. They have a very particular set of personality traits. So while somebody might not have a full-blown eating disorder, those traits can still show us some disordered eating. And that's also who typically is drawn to these really extreme things like bodybuilding, because obviously if you're somebody who is a perfectionist and type A, and if this leaks into your food and your training, like, of course, it's the perfect outlet. You know what I mean? So most people who are having trouble sticking to a diet aren't like, I'm going to become a full-time competitor. Like it's mostly the people who are very neurotic. Um, and that's okay. You just as a coach, you have to learn how to manage that and manage their neuroses. Obviously, if somebody has an active eating disorder, they should not be doing a competition. That needs to be very, very clear. Um, but that doesn't mean that people don't still suffer from some disordered eating stuff without it being a full-blown eating disorder. And that's what we really have to work through as coaches, because again, there is such an emotional tie with food in particular with women, because like you said, Steve, most of these people are have been dieting for a long period of time. I mean, I started calorie restricting. I didn't really know what it was, but you know, reducing my intake at eight years old, I'm 28. You know what I mean? So like most people over the span of their life, five, 10, 20 years have been trying diet after diet after diet where they've had these eating disorders. So you can't expect them to come into this and not have an issue, particularly when we're talking about a competition, a physique competition that is based on what you look like, <laughs> um, not some other kind of measurement. It becomes very, very blurry because now this is not just how you physically look, this is somebody is judging me. And now if you don't have the right mindset around what a competition should be, you're gonna really have some issues afterwards. And that's probably the most common thing I see, and I'm sure you guys see it too, on top of, after you've dieted really aggressively, your body is not in a, the best place. We'll put it that way. So there's a lot physiologically and psychologically happening in particular for the female who does a bodybuilding competition. Uh, I think if I was to reflect back on the reasons for why I got into bodybuilding, it is a hundred percent to do with my body composition and it was a way for me to exercise that, you know, type A, you know, I can do this perfectly. This is going to be a great sport for me, but you know, having kind of moved beyond the competitive world. I mean, I competed last in 2019 and I haven't done any shows in 2020. I took a break and probably for the better considering we just had COVID and all those struggles. But um, I think in reflecting on that, I have grown so much as a person because it's given me an opportunity to now work on my psychological health. 
And the more reflection I've done and the more work I, even as a professional in this industry, um, has done working with a specialist in psychology, specifically food psychology, um, I realized there was a lot of stuff that I was kind of carrying with me during those years of competing. So I think something that really kind of needs to be brought into this sphere with competitors um, is the reality versus expectation, um, particularly when it comes to post-show. So, you know, everybody that competes, obviously they're very hard workers. They can get into the shape that they need to be to be competitive. Um, but then what happens after that? You know, how does that person then feel with the potential weight regain and the increases in body fat? You know, do they have the mental skill sets to be able to cope and deal so, um, you know, self, um, I guess, compassion and body awareness, positive self-image, like all of these things, um, a lot of people just completely disregard. It's like, nope, 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 I'm going to be lean forever. It's fine. But at some point in your life, you know, beyond being a competitor, like there is going to be something else. So what happens then when you do stop? How are you going to handle all of those new feelings that, you know, being uncomfortable at a little bit of a higher body weight. So I think um, something that definitely needs to happen more, and I know it's definitely a new uh, nuanced conversations, more of them are happening, I think, with women, especially coaches in this industry. But looking at the diet after the diet, um, that's very important. Hey, Pascal here. I just wanted to take the moment to talk about our membership site. Inside, you'll find a thriving forum, an extensive exercise library, courses, presentations, and research reviews. All I need you to do is hit the link in the description below and sign up. Yeah, I think actually something Lauren kind of touched on there, and I think that was something maybe I skipped ahead when I was like, okay, so what's the first thing we look at? Like calorie deficit for fat loss. And now I'm like, well, actually... A lot of people aren't in a position to go to go to that step yet. So I don't know. I'm going to I'm going to pass it to Hattie because you haven't said anything for a little bit in terms of when a client comes to you, a female, she wants to lose fat. What are you looking at to kind of identify? Are you actually ready for this? Is this for competing or is this just general fat loss? Uh, let's do either or do both. Uh, do a general and then do a competitor. Looking at so something that I get my girls to do is obviously information is really important. So the more information, the better, rather than just looking at like, look at their metrics, but their dieting history. So if someone's come to me and they've been chronically dieting for a period of time and they still have a lot of body fat to lose, um, I'll often do a maintenance phase for two weeks first and then reset all their hormonal levels, get their food up a little bit and sometimes extend it for a month before I go back into a fat loss phase with that client. Because if they've been dieting and, and often they've, They've come to me because they've been dieting, but they're not successful. So like we did something we just touched on before with the girls is um, relationship with food, not very good. All or nothing approach, clean eating, you know, um, and great Monday to Friday, terrible over the weekends, possibly not even tracking their food very well or using an old diet plan from someone that's given it to them or their previous competition. Like a lot of girls, I don't know if you girls have noticed, but they go back to their old comp prep diet and want to do that as their diet for fat loss again, uh, which, which doesn't work. Um, especially when it hasn't got this really demanding external goal at the end. Um, the thing about competition prep is it really brings out the crazy in people. Um, and so they can do really crazy things and that's often a lot of exercise on very low calories. So, First thing is to 
um, look at their metrics and look at their goal. What's our time frame? Is that realistic? What's been their rate of fat loss prior to that? Have they been successful? What's their current eating habits looking like? Um, put them up into a, a new maintenance phase because often it's lower than what it was previously. I get my girls to start tracking their, their macros. So I do flexible dieting um, within guidelines or tracking macros with guidelines. So we start to establish that and then I'll establish a new fat loss based off their new maintenance, which gives me a better understanding of where they're actually at. So depending if they are um, lifestyle or if they're competition prep, got to check in with, hey, do you like a more of aggressive, an aggressive approach from the beginning or are you happy with more of a slow, steady approach to this first target that we're going to hit? And I think it's really important that you break things down for them, right? So it's like first milestone, tick. Second milestone, tick, especially if they haven't been successful in the past. Um, so that's kind of how I would start looking at, okay, how are we establishing what they're going to, where they're going to start off with, because often when they've come dieting and it's been a really um, traumatic, it hasn't been a really successful diet. Often their calories are way too low or the strategy is too restrictive in terms of, you know, it's never sexy just to track your macros, which is bizarre to me because that's the sexiest thing I've ever done in my life. Like I have the body I want. I have the life I want. I can eat out with my friends. I can drink on the weekends. I can get into competition shape. Like I can do whatever I want tracking my macros. But for some girls, it's just still not sexy enough. It's still got to be keto. It's still got to be super aggressive. You give them 150 grams of carbs. They freak out. Um, you know, and there's, and, and depending on the individual, there's a lot of learning to do. And I'm going to kind of sink back a little bit to what the girls are talking about, but something that I'm big on is relationship, relationship with self and relationship with food, because at the end of the day, we can't escape ourselves and we're not escaping food, Like we have to eat food. And we're living in this, this amazing portal that we have this vehicle every single day for the rest of our lives. And so, yes, we have a goal of fat loss or building muscle, whatever the external goal is. But if this thing is not good and that relationship with food is not good, it's not going to be an enjoyable process, right? Coming from an eating disorder background with the girls, I'm blessed. I feel very grateful for it because I'm in the position I am today because I learned about myself, right? I, I learned how to track macros so that I could have freedom in food and I could develop a good relationship with food because I didn't want to call it good and bad and I didn't want to call myself good and bad when I ate it. So that's something that I work with the girls on because that relationship with self determines the relationship with food, it determines their outcome, it determines their goals, it determines is this an ascending goal, does it take them up the mountain or is it a band-aid goal, are they trying to minimise something? And I think that's also something to work with their clients is like why do you want this goal? Like why, where is it taking you? And, and a lot of girls get on stage to minimise a feeling for that to be the reason they're following through with the process. But life after competition, my girlfriend is like is going to be worse than what it was before you started. And that's like, sometimes we, you know, I know girls would have to step in and say, look, this isn't the goal for you right now, just where we're at. It's not for you, but maybe later on when you've just established a good relationship with self, a good relationship with food, you've, you've hit your first goal of fat loss or whatever it is. Okay, cool. Like we, we, we hear their transformation through language and then, you know, we can set, an ascending goal with them and it might be to get on stage.
or it might they might go, you know what, I actually never want to get on stage. I just thought I did. And what we think we want, we don't always want, but we just don't know any better. And I think Holly said, and a lot of us, you know, you see competitors, you know, you see the bodies. And if you've never been in that body, I think we can all agree that being in contest shape looks great in some pictures, but you feel like the walking dead, right? Like it's not a feeling that I aspire to feel like on a daily basis, right? Looks good for a few pictures. That's about it. Not very functional. A thousand pictures, a thousand. (laughs) (laughs) Every day. (laughs) People don't know what that feels like. They just see it. Right. And especially with photos, people actually, you know, we all know you generally look a little bit bigger in photos than in real life. Right. So you, you see this photo or these photos, a thousand, and you see like, Oh my gosh, this person looks great. Like they look healthy, but they're muscular. And they don't see like the gauntness and they don't know how it feels. Right. So what's really important is, you know, competing is very, very hard on people's bodies and especially women's bodies and especially women who are not naturally lean. Again, there's always a bell curve to everything. So there's going to be some people who naturally are a little bit leaner. So maybe this isn't as challenging for their body because they don't have to change from their kind of settling point as much. There's going to be most people who are kind of in the middle. And then obviously there's people who carry more body fat naturally. Those people are going to have the hardest time doing competitions and they're going to need the longest amount of time to recover from it. So I think that competing needs to come with more of a warning label like yes this is fun this is great you know i'm all about supporting competitors i competed for many years i have many people who compete but if you're doing this purely because you want to have abs and look like the girls that you saw at the olympia this is the wrong goal we can do this and have other photo shoots are like the best things like hey you want to go on a vacation you want to do a photo shoot like actually you probably look better in these pictures than you would on stage anyway so like go go do this you know like better better t- better spent money um but a lot of, i have to encourage a lot of people like hey you know are you competing to be a competitor do you want to be competitive because being competitive doesn't just mean doing a 12 week prep it means before the diet you're doing very particular things during the deficit, you're doing very particular things. And after the deficit, you're doing very particular things. If you just want to have abs and do and look great in a bikini, let's do a photo shoot. <laughs> we don't yeah. need to get to these levels of body fats that are very, very negative for your health. And the more that you do them, the more that these adaptations build. They kind of have a compounding effect from what I've seen. So it's just something that it needs to be more understood because competing has gotten so popular, which is great. Again, it's a great sport. I think there's so many awesome things to it, but people need to understand what they're getting into. And these girls are really, really like, you know, I'm all about personal responsibility. You have to understand what you're getting into, right? Like I, I do think that people, we can't just say, oh, I feel so sorry for them. No, like you should look into this a little bit, you know, listen to podcasts, read about it, talk to competitors. But at the same time, the message from people in the space needs to be this, like competing is great, but it also comes with this warning label that says, these are all the things you need to do before and after and understand that this is the reality. Yeah, it's definitely a specific lifestyle. And I think, like you said, people have the assumption that it's like to switch it on and then it just stays on with minimal requirements. But there is a lot of work. In fact, I think even more work goes into the off season to, you know, make the improvements and to make some changes to your body comp. But um, I did a video about this topic uh, a few months ago. It was like looking at all of the negative uh, outcomes of uh, contest prep, which in some ways I felt a little bit hypocritical because I was like, I've done this for five years of my life. Um, I don't know whether I should be saying this, but the fact of the matter is, like you said, there is just not enough people kind of talking about both sides of that story. So, you know, making sure that you're asking the right questions when someone comes to you with that as the goal is so incredibly important and just educating them on everything and all the options. 
But I think a lot of women don't realize that when they get to that level of leanness, let's say it is the Olympia bikini model, um, you're not necessarily going to be happier in yourself. Um, you know, just because you're now 10, 15 pounds lighter on the scale, that doesn't change. Like if there's other things in your life, other areas of um, your life that are not positive for you, whether it's your relationships, your finances, you know, all the things that kind of make up who we are, um, being lean is not going to make those things better. You know, you have to work on those individually. In fact, being lean makes a lot of these things worse. You know, we've got uh, disruptions to our mood, our frustrations, anger. Uh, we have significant levels of hunger. We have disruptions to our sleep. So not just falling asleep, but also ease, more easily woken from sleep because we're trying to eat. Uh, we have changes in our hormones, you know, hormones, our appetite regulating hormones. So our leptin levels, the more we diet, the longer we diet, the lower our body fat percentage, um, the lower that hormone is going to get. And then the stronger that signal is for you to be eating. Um, strength decreases, um, potential losses in lean body mass, depending on loss how of you sex drive. <laughs> loss of sex drive, like about a libido, like you're more, you're sal salivating over the burger over there, not your boyfriend <laughs> or your husband, like heck, forget about any kind of intimacy. And then, you know, there's all of those, um, I guess, uh, restrictions and limitations that you have on like your feelings of connection, like socially you better be bunkering down to have pretty limited social life or you're going to be making some pretty stout restrictions during the week in order to kind of facilitate, you know, a drink, like one cocktail or something. So, you know, I think it's definitely glamorized. It looks fantastic. And I, I think all of us could probably say that the moments that we've been our, our leanest, we are probably all very, very proud of those mm. achievements and how awesome, you know, you looked for that particular show. But I think we've probably all matured enough in our careers to kind of go, you know what? Yes, that's hard work. Yes, that's fantastic. And when you see an impressive physique, you're like, damn girl, like you look so good. Yeah. But the reality is, you know, it's not something that you should be aspiring to have year round like you need to have a point in time where which you let your body recover you let your metabolism you know come back to a place that is going to permit you more flexibility with your calories you know it can take up to six months or more for our appetite regulating hormones to return i mean there is a couple of studies lauren i think you were probably involved in this one here at usf in florida um where we kind of just did case by case looking at individuals doing a reverse diet um, under no specific instruction, but monitoring different metrics. So it might be hormones, it might be strength, it might be body fat percentage, uh, basal, met uh, basal metabolic rate, all those things. And at six months post-show for a lot of these people, their leptin had not returned to baseline, but mm. their body fat percentage was above where they started. So, you know, that is not a good situation to be in. Like you're being they were mixed competitors too, right, Holly? Like it yeah. wasn't like it wasn't, you know, there were some people who were more advanced, but this wasn't even like the most advanced person who got down to 3% body fat. Like this was somebody like there were some people who just, hey, I'm doing a show, you know. So yeah. imagine somebody who is at the peak level, right? You know, like you guys when you're competing and, and people of that nature doing that and you know you you don't just get that lean once you do it multiple times you know what I mean and you do it over multiple seasons if you want to be competitive right and you know there is a trade-off if you want to be a competitive athlete you're going to have to make trade-offs no matter what type of athlete that you are obviously with uh, 
physique athletes, it's a little bit more on the hormonal and metabolic side, um, you know, obviously psychologically too, but you know, we're going to take more of a hit there. Whereas, you know, somebody else who's traveling 300 days out of the year, that's, that's a thing that they do for their sport. So you have to make sacrifices for the sport. So it's not to say like, it's this negative thing. And, um, hmm. you know, Holly, I know you said like, I feel bad saying this and it's like, no, like, it's just, it's just the reality. Like, it doesn't mean that you're never going to compete again. It, it just means like here, we have to be realistic with what is going on and it happens to everybody. And obviously the leaner that you get, the more of these adaptations that you see and the longer that you're leaner and the more seasons that you're that lean, they all start to build up and everybody has a different resiliency. I mean, I think we all know people who compete seemingly all the time, who stay super lean seemingly all the time with relatively low issues. But at some point, even those people will run into problems it might be a longer trajectory for them, but if you're always trying to say super, super lean and never really giving your body time off after a few cycles of that, it's just like, Hey, I'm, I'm done. And then that's when we run into, you know, your body not responding to seemingly anything, you know, your hormones are all out of whack. You seem to be gaining body fat, like by the month, your digestion is wrecked. Your sleep is awful. And you're like, I don't understand. I'm heavier than I've ever been. Like, why aren't things back to normal? And it's like, that's where sometimes it's just a time component too. Mm, that kind of ventures nicely into the reverse dieting topic, actually. <laughs> I don't know whether you girls want to talk about that. Have we completely exhausted this or are we good to move on? <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to, I was, I think we can move on. I was just going to say in terms of before you start the diet, I, I really like the differential between someone just starting a fat loss phase versus like contest prep that you made in that contest prep is just there's a heck of a lot more to it. Um, well, it's multi-phase, right? It's multi-phase. Yeah. And like you need to know what you're letting yourself into essentially with not just that dieting and how you feel then, but also the post-show. Whereas if it's just a general diet, where it's just a case of, okay, do you tick the boxes of good relationship with food? You're not on silly low calories, doing loads of cardio, like you're healthy. Cool, we can go into it. Um, hi guys, Steve here. Just wanted to take a moment of your time to remind you of our online coaching service. At Revive Stronger, we pride ourselves on providing personalized service that will take your physique and knowledge to the next level. If you're interested, check the description and sign up. I don't know if before we touch on the kind of reverse diet period after a contest prep, but you guys all sounded like you use refeeds, which I find really interesting. Uh, I had a round table on refeeds not that long ago, and uh, it seems like most competitors use refeeds even though the evidence in terms of like scientific evidence there isn't tons uh there's there is some promising evidence so i don't know if um you guys have all found really positive experience of refeeds if you use them with some people not others and i guess more so in a contest prep scenario i don't know if lauren you want to start on that one yeah so i there is a lot of benefit for certain clients i would say most clients can use refeeds um, I would say that I do have a handful of people who are just a little bit more stubborn and we have to be a little bit more aggressive, like I said, for a while. And then we can kind of add them in as they're responding. And only at the end, do they really respond well to these refeeds? But I would say that the majority of clients are going to be able to keep refeeds in, or at least some kind of like high calorie day, um, you know, every once in a while, because it really does help with um, obviously, you know, planning, hey, I have this higher calorie day it can help a lot with training, whether it's that day or the subsequent day or both days. Um, it can have, you know, I have a great night's sleep after this, et cetera. Um, the, the problem with literature 
and I love obviously science and we all try to use science as the backbone of stuff, but it's really, really hard to do research with the types of people that we're trying to discuss right now. You know, think about it. Um, the reason there's not a lot of research on physique athletes is because most physique athletes don't want their diet in the hands of somebody else, right? They don't want their, even the top people who we all know and trust, like we're like ah, I want to do my own thing right because ultimately <laughs> you're looking out for your own timeline you're looking out for your own fat loss and if you're not responding and you can't make changes because of a study like it's just it's just not going to work so that's often why there are these case studies and we can follow people but it's really hard to have like large robust data sets with people who are getting super super lean because you can't all put them on the same program and that's why you know you can do a lot of literature with you know general population for fat loss and you know make some extrapolations but i think the beauty of it is okay is this possibly helpful yes is this harmful probably not so let's try it and see if it works for somebody um mm -hmm. that's kind of how i think that most coaches use these types of things um you know some people again who are going to be some people who are naturally need more calories, right? Or they just get really, really lean, really, really quick. They might need three refeeds in a week, right? Other people, they might not get a refeed for three weeks. And it's just because they hold on to things harder. Some people don't respond to carbs as well as other people, you know, and some people actually do better when they have a little bit higher fats versus carbs. You know, I would say that most people are going to do better with moderate fats, higher carbs on refeed days in particular. Um, but again, there's always exceptions. So it's, that's why it's hard. You know, there is some promise in the literature and it's really exciting that we're getting there and we can even do those types of studies. Um, but I think the best thing that coaches can do is go, okay, is this harm? If something's not harmful and it might have a benefit, we just have to have a nuanced approach and you have to have a long enough timeline with somebody to try these things. You know, if somebody comes to you and says, Hey, I got to get ready for the show. Again, that's where the conversation, how we've all kind of discussed, you know, you need to have a timeline like pre contest prep with this client. You know, I would never just take on somebody for a contest prep if I didn't know their body or they didn't have a very long history of knowing exactly what they were doing. And they were doing all the right things just without me as a coach. And they were experienced and all this stuff. Like even then I'd be like, it's, it would be tough, but it's generally speaking, most people are going to need a few months with a coach beforehand. And then you can see how the person tolerates food, but ultimately you're only going to know how they're tolerating these things when they're in it. So I think that refeeds are really awesome. Um, I know that, you know, everybody has a different way that they like to approach it. Um, you know, some people, I know for me, at least I always used to feel better the day after a refeed. So I would, you know, especially when I was really lean. So I would, you know, of course, train on the day of the refeed, but really make sure that I had an awesome training day or a harder training day, actually the day after, because I'd wake up and like actually feel good for you. Like, wow, I don't feel like a total piece of shit right now. And you'd go and train. And then it's like, okay, I got one good session this week. <laughs> That's of course <laughs> really, really lean. But so everybody can kind of have their own thing that works for them. Um, but I do think that refeeds are awesome. And you just have to know, again, understand the client. The one thing that people don't talk enough about refeeds, so in my opinion, and sorry, I'll let you go. Um, I think that for some people, it can actually create some more issues. Um, they get a little bit of food, they get that taste of it, and then their brain's like, okay, so the next day we're going to get this too, right? And then they're incredibly hungry and they're like miserable afterwards. So it's like, all right, if a client is giving me that kind of feedback, I don't care how good the presumed refeed might be it's not worth the distress that they're going through that next day. Like there's already enough psychological distress with dieting. We're trying to minimize those hurdles. So that's, again, we're asking the client is really useful. You know, how did you feel in the day of your refeed? How did you feel afterwards? And if they just, you know, if it's not just one time, you know, but if it's a repeated thing, Hey, every time we have these refeeds, I feel ravenous after, and 
I actually overate. Like that's the worst thing that we're trying to avoid that at all costs. So refeeds are great for most people, but there are definitely subsets that I think it doesn't work as well. Yeah, I think just to add to that where um, you were discussing some of the negatives, um, I think it's important to kind of define what a refeed actually is. I think it's kind of the term is used interchangeably with like a cheat day or is it at, you know, is it a diet break? Like what is, what is a refeed? So I think it is really important to kind of define it. Um, and at the end of the day, I think people do use various approaches to refeed. Sometimes it might be as simple as taking their calories back to their maintenance calories. Like maybe they were in a, a small deficit, they're losing at a good amount of uh, weight each week. And then, you know, they've got an event coming up. Okay, well, I'm going to take a, a refeed, which is technically just going back to their maintenance calories. Um, some people will use the word diet, uh, a cheat meal, and uh, maybe it's completely untracked. And I think that is where it can kind of kind of move into a bit of a gray area because at the end of the day, if your goal is fat loss, um, in order to lose fat, you need to be in a deficit. So if you're having these refeed days um, completely untracked, which I know it's not the case for you, Lauren, like when you're doing refeeds with clients, I'm the same, you're giving them some sp pretty specific targets to hit and hopefully it kind of keeps them, you know, within reason to closely to, close enough to their maintenance calories or where they're at. Um, but it's when it's kind of untracked and, you know, they may end up doing significantly more harm than good because, you know, all of the hard work that they did during the week um, to kind of get themselves into a deficit they might have been losing can be completely reversed or at, um, at best it would be just reversed. And some people take it as far as going back into the negative. You know, they've regained weight on that refeed or that um, cheat meal. So that is a really important thing to consider. Now, uh, I know that I had somebody ask me a question recently and it was like, oh, what happens if I just have two days at maintenance? Um, well, you know, if you were following a set number of calories for, you know, seven days, but you decided to add in two higher calorie days and maybe let's say they're like 400 calories higher than your normal maintenance calories. Essentially, all that is doing is it's just pushing back your, you know, time to achieving that certain amount of weight loss in seven days. It's now going to take you nine days um, to probably get to, to that goal because you've had two days at maintenance. Um, you could average that out over nine days and you just find that your overall average calorie deficit for that period is just a little bit less. So I think that's important to kind of consider. Um, the other thing I think is that these refeeds, there was a lot of hype going back several years ago about, um, you know, if you have a refeed, it's going to um, increase your leptin levels, which is the hunger hormone. And, you know, that's going to drive up your um, leptin and going to have a positive effect on your metabolism and help you to lose more fat and blah, 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 prime your metabolism. There was so much talk about that. Um, but yeah, I wish. Unfortunately, um, leptin does, yes, respond to carbohydrate intake specifically, which is why, yeah, we as coaches probably encourage primarily carbohydrate consumption on those days. Also, because it's our primary and preferred fuel source for training, you know, resistance training is very much glycolytic in nature. You need carbohydrate. Uh, and there's some more studies that have come out on that recently too, which I'd love to talk about. But um, overall, after that initial response or rise in leptin, it is an, it responds to not just, it doesn't respond to acute changes in energy balance. It responds to long-term changes in our energy balance. And what, so in the, the short period of time that you might have caused your leptin to come back up, 
in response to a refeed or a high calorie cheat day, it's very quickly going to go back down because it responds to long-term changes in energy balance and long-term changes to your fat mass, not so much in an acute situation. So that kind of myth has been squashed. So I think to talk on what Lauren was talking about before, it can be useful from the sense that, you know, indirectly, it may have a positive effect on one's ability to train better. So if you've got a really hardcore session the next day, yeah, maybe jumping up and putting some more of those calories on during your training sessions, you might get a better performance. And it's actually changed a little bit of the way that I structure my eating behaviors now. Um, I know that um, previously I might do a little bit of kind of carb backloading towards the end of the week. Um, so I would train in a greater deficit uh, because I might have had a social event or something on on the weekend where I wanted to save up more calories to go and eat out, maybe have a cocktail, have a drink, whatever. Um, and I wanted to have that caloric flexibility. But now looking at some of the more recent research that's coming out on carbohydrate availability or glycogen losses during resistance training, um, I actually now prefer to have more of my carbohydrates during those heavy hitting training um, sessions because there is evidence that decreased um, glycogen levels are far more predominant than what we previously thought. There's a big drop off um, in our glycogen um, stores, specifically in the type two muscle fibers when we undergo resistance training. So that might have negative effects long-term. If you're especially very lean on very low calories and you're trying to push really hard at training um, and now we're seeing pretty big decreases or drop-offs in the available glycogen, well, maybe your performance is going to be affected. So, you know, moving more of those carbohydrates back to the training um, to help um, ensure that you can hit your weekly training volumes um, and that your overall, you know, ability to retain your lean body mass doesn't go down. Awesome. I love I, refeeds. Uh, <laughs> is that your input there? <laughs> oh, like I've always used them. I love refeeds for myself and clients and it's actually more along the lines of um, psychological. Like knowing that I've got a high day coming up every couple of days psychologically I can, I can do it. I can push it. Um, psychology is everything, right? Adherence to your diet, adherence to training intensity, like the stuff that we can do on low calories blows our minds really in a contest prep and psychology. Yeah. So I, I personally um, like using refeeds for the psychology compliance, um, psychology side of things and the compliance. Awesome. Yeah, I think it's – oh. I want to add one more thing before we transition. <laughs> Um, I, damn it. I did this twice. Sorry. I'm the only person doing it. Um, I think one thing too, that really does distinguish, um, competition prep versus just fat loss and something that we incorporate a lot. And I'm very, very hard in my stance on this is I do encourage actual flexibility with people's diets. So I'm very big on untracked meals and untracked days for clients. And we set this up in the off season or any kind of non-dieting period, um, so that they're actually comfortable going out and I say, Hey, go have an untracked dinner. It's a normal untracked dinner. It might fluctuate, you know, in the amount, but it's never, oh, I had a hundred calories or I had 2000, right? We do all of that work before we're in a deficit because you don't really ever build really good habits in a diet. You're kind of just maintaining what you've built beforehand. So for many, for all of our clients, we do that regardless if they're a competitor or not in their off season. So they get really comfortable with that. And then if somebody particularly is not in a 
in a contest prep, they're just in the fat loss phase. I will really try to encourage like, Hey, instead of a refeed, like let's have one untracked dinner. Here's targets beforehand. And then you go have an untracked dinner. And for people who are not on a specific timeline, like, yes, they might have a timeline, but it's not as aggressive as like the competition timeline you know, maybe they're not progressing as fast, but if that's going to work better for them, again, for the adherence and the psychology behind it, and they are able to enjoy that, then I'm all for it. If somebody's like, no, I'd rather have a refeed. I'm like, okay, like a structured refeed. Okay, cool. So that's kind of where we can play in the, um, you know, the non-competitor situation. And there's a lot more obviously flexibility there. When people are committing to a contest prep, it's like, listen, we're trying to be as optimal as possible. And, you know, we always want to be optimal, but again, you have to look, okay, like what's optimal and what's practical. So for a non-competition client, sometimes practicality, it it wins over over optimization. Contest prep client, like, listen, this is what you signed up for. Like, we have to be on point. Um, That's what separates them. Exactly. Yeah, that's what separates them. So, you know, the level of leanness that we're trying to achieve is very different. We have a specific timeline that you're getting on stage, um, you know, in this bikini, like we have to be ready. We have to be at a certain body fat um, and a certain look. So I think that that's really just what is different there. Um, and again, that's where you have to have that expectation with people up front. Like this is the expectation of what we're doing for a contest prep. So I'm Steve Hall, founder of Revive Stronger and a coach of Revive Stronger. My name is Pascal Flor. I'm the co-owner of Revive Stronger and also a coach, of course. Revive Stronger has probably been going solidly for three years, probably roughly about three years. Revive Stronger, to me, it is becoming kind of my child, my foster child. It's the gathering and getting together of like-minded people. We've been expanding the coaching team, which is helping us help more people. Uh, but each coach can only help a certain number of people. Right now, it's all over the place. We have YouTube, we have Facebook, we have Instagram, but there isn't that community aspect behind that. And so the next step for us is developing a membership site. So basically, we want to create a family and a community that is then benefiting from another, a really cool community for people within our little niche. It's going to be a website. They will get early access to our podcast. You can access us, ask us questions, the community aspect. We have a forum there. You can ask questions, but also you can you can lock your journey. There's also going to be courses on there, courses, presentations on different topics, discount of past seminar footage. We will log our journey as well. We'll start vlogging. We're gonna have documentaries, our entire athletic journey. Furthermore, they get access to an exercise video library. The exercises that we love for hypertrophy and maximizing hypertrophy, we're gonna go through those in depth, telling you how to execute them. We kept them concise and also mobile friendly so that you can watch them in between your sets. I'm super excited to grow this community. The amount of value that we're gonna be delivering is huge. And I'd love you to be part of it. You will get so much out of that. I'll see you inside.